Hello. Hi, June. It's Debbie Calton at WMGK in Philly. How are you doing Hi, today? Hi, Debbie. Good. And you? I am doing fine. And where am I catching you today? I'm at the Institute for the Musical Art. It's a nonprofit institute for women and girls in music that I co-founded, along with my partner, Anne and Angela Davis and Roma Barron out of New York and so on. We started it in 87, and now we have property 20 minutes from Smith College in Northampton, the five colleges area, and we do, for example, rock and roll girls camps and performances and workshops. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely talk a little bit about that. But first, before I forget, I have to tell you, we were watching, my husband and I were watching um, a couple of videos last night. He wants to know if you still have the ES-335 that you were playing with Fanny back in the day. I do not. No, that's going to break <laughs> his heart. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a, no, I sold it to Nikki's first husband, and what was I thinking? Yeah, dang. <laughs> Even though I wasn't Fanny, I wasn't actually making that much money. So, <laughs> you know how it is. Well, at least there's documentation of it that you had it in your hands. And that's him. right, and I got to ask him. He, he did write to me uh, last year, and I've got to ask him if he still has it. Yeah, I'd see if I could get that one back. <laughs> yeah. So the first video that popped up when I did a Google was uh, for the Dick Cavett show. And you all are so young and so vibrant, all that long hair flying around. <laughs> you know, I don't remember doing that show at all. Do you it's not? Really amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I know we did the, the Tonight Show because went right to a commercial boy. He didn't even talk to us or say hello. He didn't like it. We did Young and Dumb. So Johnny didn't talk to you at all? You're talking Johnny Carson? He didn't talk to I think it, it freaked him out too much. And we didn't really see him because there was a curtain. We were next to the desk. Oh, not that far away. Right. 20 feet, but there was a curtain. So we never even saw him. Yeah, boy. Oh, so disappointed because, I, I mean, I was a fan, you know. If Johnny didn't like something. He wouldn't put up with it. What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how about that? Well, so how how old were you there in those heady days? I mean, Fanny, we're talking about like late 60s, mid 70s, right? For the, the core part of the band's existence? Yeah, I mean, we were recording in 69, and the first album was released in late 70. And, and quite frankly, uh, Richard Perry was teaching us how to record in the first year. So the first album was actually recorded twice, and Nikki came in somewhere. Nikki, the keyboardist. You know, in the uh, process. And we congealed music-wise during that period of learning how to record. That's all we needed to learn because we already, we got down to L.A., and we were a self-formed band who could play. We could set up our own PA. We could back up a, a car with a trailer, you know, right. a gas station. So we we knew what we were doing. We knew how to handle crowds. But it was just that step, uh, recording in the studio and recording well, and then playing the bigger venues. Well, let's talk a little bit about the actual origin of the band. So it was you and your sister, Jean. So your dad was in the military, as was mine. And it was sort of a, a, a coping mechanism for when you guys were transferred to the United States because of your dad's job. Is that what you guys were doing? Just thought we'll play some music here? Is that how it started? He actually um, quit the Navy. He was the lieutenant commander when he married my mother because they were so racist, they didn't want him to marry her. Oh. And he basically said, you know, screw that and left and became an, an engineer. Then when we moved to California in 61, I was already 13 and Jean was 12. And we had just picked up acoustic guitars and, and music was really our lifeline. We haven't performed so much in front of people other than family. But once we realized that that was the way we could make friends, that, that was really partly why music was so important to us. It was our lifeline to community, to having friends, to learn how to talk to people, actually. So that's part of our loyalty to music is it's our lifeline. Did you set out to become an all, in quotation marks, all-girl band? No, 
Not at all. It just worked out that way. It worked out that way. Jean's boyfriend in high school was the bass player in a surf band. So, of course, we would go to their gigs and hang out. And at the time, we, we had met a couple of other girls doing nanny. So the four of us played between their sets like at bowling alleys or whatever with four acoustic guitars and, and learning how to do harmonies like uh, Martha and the Vandellas, Heat Waver, Nowhere to Run, stuff like that. And then there was a gig that we found out that was an open audition. And both bands, by that time, a girl had called us from another high school and said, hey, you want to start a band? We're like, yeah. <laughs> it was all kind of a fluke, but it was meant to be. I kind of call it, or I do call it, rock and roll manifest destiny because it was all meant to be right time, right place. And someone had to play bass. And Kathy, our first drummer, remember, we're like 18, uh, has told us recently that Gene and I flipped the coin and Gene lost and <laughs> had to play bass. Oh, it was really good luck for all of us because she's one of the best bass players in the world. Wow, that's that's, that's crazy. And so yeah. you you had no idea then at that time that you were being revolutionary. Not at all. But when we got the gig, we couldn't use Gene's boyfriend's band's equipment anymore. And so we talked to our parents, and my dad said absolutely not. He was switching careers, actually. He became uh, the first computer programmer in the state of California. And, you know, and he... he went to school and worked during the day for like the first five years we were in Sacramento. So, I mean, it was really incredible what he did. And he just didn't figure he had the money. My mom, however, saw how happy it made us. And that was her litmus test. Oh, it makes my daughters happy? Let's go for it. So we went to a music store. She signed for about $500 worth of equipment, which is incredible for 1965. Hello. Did you run into a resistance? Because I'm sure that some people probably thought you were trying to make a statement with an all-girl band. Or or did you find because you ended up playing with a lot of people. Yeah, well, I, I do have to back up to our first all-girl band, The Spells, because, I mean, it was so much a part of the fabric of society that girls did not step out. And playing electric instruments and drums was just like, you know, you might as well in 1965 say we were going to land on the moon. It was it was resistance, yes, yes, but it was the air that everyone breathed. Girls did not step out. In fact, the girls in, in the audiences, like boys, they would all fall in love with us. The resistance was definitely there. But the boys would come up and say, not bad for chicks, which was the highest compliment <laughs> you could give in the 60s. Well, yeah. And the girls never said a word. They just stood by their boyfriend or their date or whatever. But by the time we got to L.A., we, we knew how to play well, so we just ignored that. It's like, it just didn't matter anymore. It's like, are we going to do it or not? And the, <laughs> are we going to do it was a resounding yes because it made us so happy and it freed us up and we now had friends. We were learning how to talk. You know, we're still really shy because we're Filipino American. That was not sexy in the 60s, you know? But by the time we got to L.A., I mean, I was, let's see, when we started to record, I was 21. So when we hit the road, I was 22, 23, 24, you know, prime years. Why the name Fanny? How did you guys come up with that? We, when we got to L.A., we were called Wild Honey, uh -huh. uh, between the Svelts and Fanny, and I heard of a band called Daisy Chain, and I just was struck by the fact that there was a girl's name in it. And it seemed so sweet and innocuous. So when we were trying to think of a new band name, I said, well, why don't we think of a few girls' names? And Fanny came up in, the, in that, you know, of course, the the weird kind of psychedelic list. That we, I wish I'd kept that list. <laughs> I bet it was uh -huh. great. But Alice had an aunt, Fanny, and I always thought of Fanny as an older woman with warm cookies and a glass of milk, <laughs> you know, like that. As I was learning how to project you know, and I was meeting guys in L.A. like Lowell George of Little Feet, who was a very good friend of mine, and 
the skunk Baxter and all that, and we were figuring it out how to get to 11, you know. But I always had that fanny, because I'm actually pretty shy, or I was super shy at the time. That fanny woman was in front of me, but nobody knew. However, she gave me the courage to experiment, to step out, because I, I really don't think I could have done it without my own personal hologram. Right, you know yeah, wow. Yeah. That's such a cool way to describe that, too. Yeah, yeah that you yeah. just developed this persona. And not only that, but I'm at the age now where I'm being interviewed by college students or girls in high school, and one of the first questions they ask me kind of assumes that the mid-60s were like the way it is now, where girls can just kind of, there still is whatever, you know, resistance or problems, but there, there was no there was no context. So we created our own frame by 65, and then we stepped into the frame between 65 and 69. And then the hologram that we projected was happening from 70 to 73, 74. And that was a lot of work. But that's exactly how I describe it, because there was nothing. I mean, we were looking for, for girls playing on TV, and we, we couldn't see it. No, well, because you had the, the Motown girl groups, they were singers, but they weren't performing their instruments. And then you had Genya Raven, but that's the only other person I can think of that had an all-girl band back yeah, then. Golden and the Gingerbreads were basically breaking up as fans. Right, fan. yeah, they the were Spelt. earlier than you. Yeah, uh-huh. the Svelts was um, basically catching its stride. So we didn't even know that they were Right, yeah, models. right. I mean, How would you? <laughs> Do you feel like a mama pride now with all these bands that had, well, in the, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, you get Go-Go's and the Bangles, and then, of course, Hole and all these other different girl bands who didn't have to worry about creating that hologram because you had already done that for yeah, them. Yeah, we definitely punched a hole through the wall. I'll yeah. tell you that. Yeah, and it was a lot of work. I mean, part of the reason why I had to leave Fanny and I and I emphasize the word had to is because I was just so tired. You know, I was point person for a lot of girl guitar players that came later, or women guitar players, in mm-hmm. terms of stepping out, and it was an exhausting job. I didn't realize it was so exhausting at the time, but I really kind of fell apart. And also, when we became, let's say, successful, it wasn't what I thought of. It was not what we thought it was going to be. So it was kind of being on a bad acid trip when we realized that, wow, this is not, you know, we should have had a massive hit by now. You know, for example, and we'd recorded at Apple, we were touring with Chicago, and the Staples Singers, Dr. John, I mean, you name it, we were on the, the road. And you had a lot of champions, too. I mean, the fact mm-hmm. that you recorded with Jeff Emmerich, the Beatles engineer, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. David Bowie, of course, has sung your praises. You mentioned Skunk Baxter, a great guitarist who was also said that you're one of the finest players around. So you you had you had a lot of people who recognized what you were doing. Yep, but the problem was society wasn't ready for it. Yeah, I, and we realized that in some. You know, we didn't really talk about it so much, but we did kind of moan about it among ourselves. Like, why haven't we had it yet? I mean, we're on the road all the time. We were on all the major shows: the Tonight Show, the First Sunny and Cher Show, all the rock and roll shows, even Dick Cavett. So why didn't we have that top thirty hit? And the only thing really we could come up with was there was still that derision factor, where people would mock the idea of an all-girl band, and that was too much for me to deal with, ultimately, because we were working so hard. I mean, we worked 24-7. If we weren't on the road, we were rehearsing and writing, or I was going out to clubs and or jamming and learning more stuff. I mean, people kind of forget that in the late 60s and into the 70s, what we consider the classic rock sound was being invented. Girl, a lot of us were working really hard and jamming together and staying up nights and going, you know, going to guys who, man, there were only guys then, making amps and figuring out the tubes and the circuitry and all that. And I was in the forefront of that with the guys, but people never really quite realized that because the only question
question really that was asked of me was, what does it feel like to be a girl? Yeah, to be a girl guitar player. And I found that insulting. Yeah, because you're just a guitar player. Exactly. And an artist, quite frankly. But they couldn't see past that first, you know. It was tough. Did you find, were there like managers or record companies, that, that where they tried to mold your image into that more of like that no. sex angle? You know, no. Hart ran into that later on. No, no. The difference was when we came down to L.A., we'd already, as teenagers, been playing for four or five years professionally. I mean, we booked ourselves. We had it together. So the first album cover, which is kind of the famous one where Alice was grabbing my ass, and, you know, and it, it worked out with Fanny. I mean, that was a fluke because the photographer just had a couple of frames left at the end of the session. And so he said, oh, let's just take a couple of shots. And right as he clicked the shutter, Alice grabbed my Fanny. <laughs> and everyone loved it. So that became, so there was, there was a lot of synchronicity involved, you know. But they didn't try to make us wear those jeans. Those were our clothes. So the second album, Charity Ball, um, we were with Reprise Warner Brothers, and of course that's also movie company. So they gave us movie sound lots at the at the Warner Brothers sound stages to rehearse in. And many times, Little Feet was uh, in the adjacent stage, so we played together a lot. But my point is, we got those outfits from the Warner Brothers wardrobe department. Wow. We got to go up and choose those outfits that had been worn and I don't know what sound of music or something like that, you know. That's and so and Candace Bergen took the photo, the invitation shot where we were holding the parasols and those outfits. So that was super legit. The third album was at Apple, and we were still shopping. We would go on shopping sprees in London. That was fun. Girls in the early 70s in Portobello, oh my gosh, Portobello Road, it was a lot of fun in those boots that they were making with the high heels. Yeah. And then we started to meet people who were fans of ours, like David Bowie, who was also into his whole image thing and became really good friends. Why, should I say you're back or have you always been still doing something since those days? Oh, thank you for putting it that way. I've always been doing something. I have never uh, disappeared. Actually, I I worked a lot in the women's music movement. You know, part of the reason why I left in 73 was I was tired, but I also knew I needed to learn how to become a person, a human being. And I wasn't going to grow in that garden that was what you would call rock and roll, you know, that presentation. I ended up in Woodstock, New York, Elliot Randall's. Yeah, he, he was a good friend of mine, and uh, he turned me on to Tim Moore, and I ended up playing with Tim Moore in Woodstock. And that was a really good period for me because, among other things, the band had just left, but that whole vibe was still in the area, and there was a lot of great music. So I went into another level, and I studied Buddhism beginning then. So when it started to happen with women's music in 75 for me, because I played on the album Changer and the Change, with Chris Williamson, which is, you know, sort of like the women's music album. And I got super into it. I got educated into feminism, which I did not want to get into because racism was bad enough for me. Sexism was, I didn't even really notice it. I just got louder, you know, and better. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I dealt with it. But, you know, changing the change from 75 into about 81 was a big deal for me. And then mid-80s, I helped co-found the Institute for the Musical Arts, which is now in Massachusetts. I I live outside of Northampton, the five colleges area, at the Institute. And in fact, our second Rock and Roll Girls Camp of the summer is starting tomorrow. We have five. Wow. Two preteen, two teen, and a recording camp. It's a big deal. And again, your mission there is women and girls and music. Any type of music. Plus, I teach foremothers. I make the 
them, although they enjoy it, I make them listen to women, you know, from the 20s, 30s on, even all over the world. So it's really great because they realize that they're walking down this really kind of hallowed ground, this road that many women really sacrifice to do their art. And it's a big deal. And now they're forming bands and they're out in the world, got record deals, they're graduating from Yale or working at the UN, whatever. And it's a new sisterhood that's coming out of I-Man. It's pretty deep. Oh, that's yeah. got to be so rewarding. It is. And it is. So I don't stop. No, you don't because you wrote a book and you're writing another one? <laughs> I am. And there's going to be a fantasy musical. I just, my book is, is, I can now say, this is the first time I've announced it publicly because I just signed a contract. My book is being used as the underlying narrative and a theater oh, um, nice. close to New York City is commissioning it. So it should be, the first show should probably be in a couple of years, but it's happening. I signed the deal. Oh my so, gosh. Wow. That's tremendous. The Fanny musical is coming. <laughs> I love it. And a uh, new album too. Did we talk exactly. about that? Fanny Walks the Earth. Yeah. And that came out of a conversation we had the first time we met uh, with Kirk, the owner of Blue Alon Records in, in Los Angeles. And I was talking about how I don't really want to be in another band called Fanny because, you know, that's when I was 21 to 24. I It's hard for me to play Fanny, you know, to mm-hmm. play Fanny well. If, if we do a Fanny song, I got to practice. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Just like anybody else. Who was that chick? You know what I'm saying? Well, and again, but, the hologram has changed, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was saying, because of the svelte, because we started in late 64, 65, because of the svelte, we have an arc from the svelte through Fanny and Hollywood, women's music for me, and the Institute for Musical Arts. And I said, well, Fanny, it's so important that Fanny walked the earth. I mean, I just said it. You know, it's very real and true to me. And Bree's head, Bree, the drummer, who was she was our second drummer in the svelte. She lived in the, in the same area we did. She said, what did you say? Your head snapped around. And I said, Fanny walked the earth. And she said, I like that. And I said, well, let's name it that. And everyone agreed. Yeah, it's so. perfect. Well, I'm exhausted. I'm telling you, it's, it's incredible. And I can't wait for that musical to come out. And I'm so glad that our friend Marcy put us together. I love it. She's great. And if I could, could I mention uh, our website? Please do. So anybody who wants to know about how we're moving it forward with women and girls in music, backwards with the four mothers and forwards, uh, all the girls who are working with us and studying with us, just go to www.ima.org, Institute for the Musical Arts, and we are playing it forward. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, June. Wonderful. So great to talk to you. Thank you. Take care.